Welcome to the Beers and Ears podcast. Here are your hosts, Casey Woolley and Matthew Brown. Well, good morning, in case I don't see you. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Welcome to the Beers and Ears podcast. My name is Casey, and right about now is when you would actually hear the soothing sounds of my partner in crime, Mr. Matthew Brown. But yet, we did it again. This is our second podcast in a row where you only get one of us. Last week was my fault. Um, I don't even want to call it my fault. My family was in town, and um, we were they were visiting, and I wanted to spend as much time with them, and we had a great, amazing time. Um, so Matt took the reins last week, his, I think, second time being on his own, and talked about the San Diego Comic-Con and all the crazy news that dropped. But this week, sure enough, we had planned to do Thor Love and Thunder, but I get a text from Matt yesterday saying, hey, I'm going to be out of town when we normally record. Um, You know, do you want to try to do a different time? And trying to arrange different schedules can be difficult. And so I said, you know what? Let me take the reins. I can do an alone podcast uh, on my own. And so this is actually my very first podcast all on my own without Matt or another partner. So it's kind of uh, weird, I think, but exciting. It's another first on the Disney uh, Beers and Ears podcast here. So uh, welcome to the show. If you are new to the show, we're so glad to have you as a partner. Uh, You should check out sorcererNetwork.com. You can find all of our episodes on sorcererNetwork.com. You can also check us out on Facebook and Instagram at beers and at beers, Facebook beers and ears podcast, and then Instagram and Twitter at beers ears 1928. Feel free to email us too, beers and ears 1928 at gmail.com to let us know that you're listening and give us episode suggestions. So uh, we promised more Disney content. Last week we got a lot of Marvel content because it was the announcements. But uh, today I'm actually going to do a top 10 all by myself. Uh, And really what got me here was I figured I might as well use my experiences with my family last weekend uh, in the podcast. And so my brother, Ryan, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, he was on the the Cars uh, podcast a few years back, uh, and my sister-in-law, Michelle, and then my two nieces and nephew, uh, they came out, and we had a fun-filled time in Chicago. Uh, we went to the Legoland Discovery Center um, on uh, Saturday when they came out in uh, the Woodfield Mall area uh, in, in Schaumburg, Illinois. But then we went to Six Flags Great America in Gurney, Illinois on Monday. So this got me thinking, you know, everyone listening to this podcast, we're Disney fans. We're Disney fanatics. And there's a whole host of reasons why we are Disney fanatics. Um, but one of the reasons why I think we're Disney fanatics is, is if you've been to the parks, there is something uh, that those of us who have it called the Disney bug. We we catch the bug when we go. I've talked about on this podcast about how the very first time Nate took me to a park in 2010 and how ever since then I've caught the bug and here I am doing a podcast. Uh, you heard me talk about that I'm going to become a certified Disney travel planner. That is just about wrapped up and pretty soon I'll be able to plan your travel needs. We'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the show, but I have the Disney bug. And if you're listening, there's a good chance you do too. And so what I want to talk about today is a top 10. What makes Disney parks different than other theme parks that you've been to? And and why do we hold Disney to this completely other standard 
that other theme parks don't necessarily have, right? And so I've just got 10 things. Um, nine of them um, are, are positive things, I got to say. One is going to be a little bit more on the negative, um, and I think you guys are probably going to be able to guess what that is. But I just want to go through real quick, kind of, why do we keep going back and back and back again for that Disney theme park experience when there's a very good chance you probably have a local theme park in your area, be it if you're in the Midwest, Cedar Point, or again, a local Six Flags local to you, Dollywood, Knott's Berry Farm, um, the, the Jersey Shore even, I think there's some, some you know, a Coney Island, you know, we've got local theme parks everywhere. What about Disney makes a difference? So let's go ahead and just start. I think right off the bat, one that is easy to check off the list is cleanliness. So I was at Six Flags Great America. This is my second time I've been there. The first time I went was way back in 2014, so almost eight years ago. If you've ever been to any other theme park, you know hands down that Disney parks are cleaner than any other theme park out there. Even Universal, which is right down the road, Disney parks maintain a level of cleanliness like no other. Now, you do pay for it, which I'm going to talk about in a couple of minutes, but from a cleanliness perspective, they hold themselves to high standards. Now, I get it. They aren't always what they used to be. You might have fond memories of 15, 20 years ago of just impeccable standards. I will say that in recent years, Disney has dropped a little bit, but bar none, when you compare them to other parks around the country, their cleanliness standards are always better than everyone else. And I think a reason for that is it goes back to Walt's philosophy. There's a famous picture of him. You've probably seen it of him bending down to pick up a piece of trash. He modeled that behavior for his cast members. And it's very famously, you know, maybe you know the story when he was originally modeling Disneyland and kind of thinking through it, he counted the number of paces at a local theme park that people would walk to a garbage can before they just dropped it on the ground. And he made sure that his trash cans were no more than that distance apart. Uh, apart. And so that's why when you're in the parks, you never see, uh, you're never, like if you're at one trash can, you can look around and always see another trash can um, from where you're standing. You're never from within probably about 30 or 40 feet of a trash can. So cleanliness is number one. My second one that I wanna talk about here um, is the theming and the immersion. Nobody does theming and immersion better than the Walt Disney Company and the Imagineers over at uh, Disney Imagineering. Whether it's Cars Land in Disneyland, which is, or in Disneyland, California, uh, California Adventure, which is just absolutely astounding. You really feel like you're there. Or Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which has literally made grown men cry. Or just the simple of immersion of when you're walking down Main Street and it makes you feel like simpler times, right? So other theme parks, they try to do this, but they're really kind of stale. They don't have that intellectual property that helps you kind of envision what that is. Like take Cedar Point. They've got Frontierland over there, Frontier Town, I think it's called. And yeah, it kind of has a Frontier vibe, but honestly, you're not immersed in it. The same is true for Six Flags. Again, they had multiple areas of the park. They had the, the town square area. They had the New Orleans area. But it never felt like you were in New Orleans like it does when you're in New Orleans Square at Disneyland or Frontierland when you're in Frontierland at Disney World. It doesn't feel like those things. And so 
Disney, from a theming and immersion perspective, really knows how to put you. Um, I would even say Universal does a pretty good job of this, too. They've really caught on. I remember the very first time I ever went to Universal Studios, and I remember stepping foot inside the Back to the Future ride at the time and how amazing it was getting you prepped for the actual ride that you were going to ride. So Disney is really good about immersing you in the theming of the park, of the ride, of the atmosphere. So you're you're feeling um, like you're in a different world. This is true even just with the way they put the berm, uh, I think it's called a berm, up around the sides. Um, even at Disneyland, uh, Walt was really disappointed that when you got up really high, you could see kind of the surrounding area. They've done a pretty good job of kind of putting a wall up on the outer edge of the parks. But at Disney World, you don't have to worry about that at all. Everything's in that 40 square miles, and they do a really good job of masking the operations of, of, the, of the production, really. That really kind of takes me to that third point, which is the bubble. You've heard us refer to the Disney bubble before. You don't get a Disney bubble or a bubble when you go to Six Flags. You literally turn onto a road. It says, welcome to Six Flags. And then there's a parking structure and you walk into the park. Don't get me wrong. Six Flags is beautiful. I've not been to all of them, but at least the one in Illinois is pretty. Cedar Point. Cedar Point kind of has a little bit more of a bubble, I would argue, in that you kind of cross that causeway. Um, to to get to it. But even then, it's not a bubble. You don't feel like you're fully taken away from the rest of the world, right? Back when Magical Express was around, you got that from the moment you hit uh, Orlando International Airport. But even if you don't get that, the moment you cross the Welcome to the Walt Disney World, the most magical place on Earth sign, you feel there's a sense of calm, a sense of magic that over com comes over you. You don't get that at other theme parks, right? Okay, number four, ride selection. Or should I call it attraction selection? I think one thing that a lot of regional theme parks really aim for is they are either really kid-focused. And so, like, the kid and family rides are just that. They're very, very small-time. Um, you know, the kid land in, in Six Flags, you know, they were literally were meant for children um, or they go the opposite direction and go thrill ride central. It's roller coasters. You know, um, uh, I always used to laugh when, when with, with Cedar Point, you know, thank you for uh, coming to Cedar Point. America's favorite roller coast was their was their theme song. And they've got literally dozens of roller coasters for the roller coaster junkie. And, and that's fine. That is their shtick. Right. Disney, though, takes a broader approach. And this goes back to Walt himself. Walt Disney wanted a place that families could experience rides together. They could experience attractions together. Walt Disney is the inventor of the dark ride, the ride, the Omni Remover, the ride that gets you into a building and you see show scenes, right? The reason why you're able to do things like the Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean and It's a Small World and even newer versions of that, like the Spider-Man ride at Universal or even the Justice League ride at Six Flags, which is in all their parks, is because Walt Disney is the one who envisioned that concept first. So from a ride perspective, you have a much better ride selection. You've got something for thrill seekers you've got something for children you've got something for families you've got shows that are continuously going that was something that was 
horribly missing at, at the Six Flags Park on Sunday was there were no shows. There was a show later that night, but at Disney and all other parks, you've got shows going throughout the day, right? Um, that also includes um, parades throughout the day, the fireworks show at night. That is something you get at Disney that comes with the cost of admission. Okay, so we got four in. I'm going to go in and put the negative one in here now because I just mentioned cost. So this is the one difference at Disney that unfortunately is kind of the flip of what I'm going for here, and that is cost. It is no secret that a Disney World or a Disneyland vacation is going to cost you probably double what a vacation elsewhere for a theme park or um, uh, an experience might be, definitely even universal. That said, I could argue all of the other nine things on this list give you a greater value for the cost that you are paying. The cost for the Six Flags admission was $49.99 per person, uh, both adult and child alike. There was no difference. So it was $50. The cost for a Disney World or, uh, admission on a lower peak day is going to typically start around $95. So almost double. But and then, of course, if you add in your um, your park hopper passes, right, uh, your your fast pass, things like that, it can start to add up. That said, $49.99 was the base price to get in. There was still parking. Parking was $30. That's equivalent to what you'd pay at Disney, right? Um, then when you get in, there's other costs involved. One of the things that was striking to me was their souvenir cost was actually a bit less than you might find at a Walt Disney World. And they, they have the trademark Looney Tune characters, the Warner Brothers and the DC characters there, where at Disney World, your souvenir prices are going to be a bit higher. But on the flip side of that, the cost for food was outrageous at Six Flags Great America. One slice of pizza, like a New York slice of pizza, like you get it like a Sabaro, one slice was $14. Uh, an all-day cup where you could buy the cup and get refills on your soda was $30. $30. Now, at Disney World, you can get that same kind of mug concept. I believe it's like $27, but it's for the duration of your trip, right? So you got some value there. So again, the cost-wise, comparatively, yes, you are going to spend more money at Walt Disney World because you're obviously there more, but there are places that are of a greater value when you're at Disney World versus another theme park. But all, be, all said, the cost is going to be more expensive at Walt Disney World, but I would argue the value is better. So speaking of food, let's go there. Disney World hands down, Walt Disney World hands down has better quality food than your regional theme parks. Um, I was struck, again, at Six Flags and the Cedar Point's the same way. You get a lot of the basic theme park food. Theme park food. Uh, pizza, burgers, chicken tenders, chicken sandwiches. Yeah, they've got a couple of random things. I did see beignets when I was there. I wanted to try them, but I didn't. They got the Dippin' Dots, right? Um, they did have a Dole Whip, which was really interesting. But you know, the churros and the soft pretzels and the nachos and the popcorn, they're all there. At Disney World, you have all that, but then you've got that next level elevated dining experience, that table service experience. You know, be it Liberty Tree Tavern, where you can sit down and literally have a Thanksgiving dinner meal right there, all you can eat. Or Ohana, where you can get that 
wonderful Polynesian uh, dinner with that bread pudding at the end, or uh, Hoop-de-doo review where you've got the fried chicken, or you've got the sci-fi dinner diner with all the different options, or you've got the the restaurant whose name is exp- escaping me, but the one where you can't put your elbows on the table and you get screamed at because it's home cooking, right? You know, there's all these, and don't even get me started on Epcot, the food at Epcot during Food and Wine or Flower and Garden. The food at Walt Disney World is elevated because they put effort into it. Now, I got to say, it wasn't always like that. There was a time when the food at um, Walt Disney World was very much homogenized, and um, speci- you know it wasn't specific to location. They kind of kind of made it the same throughout. But they have done a really good job, and not just at table service restaurants, even in some of these themed areas. Think about Ronto Roasters. I was talking with one of my coworkers yesterday. She's like, those Ronto wraps are amazing. Or Satuli Canteen, right? But at Walt Disney World, you have a much better selection of food than you would at a typical uh, regional theme park. So I talked about this a couple minutes ago, but you know, the free experiences that you get at Walt Disney World help with the value. Again, the free transportation on property is a huge plus. And as Matt has said on the podcast before, when you ride the Skyliner or the monorail or the boats, it's kind of like its own little ride without even having to go into a theme park, right? So that right there. But then there's the other experiences. Again, the three o'clock parade that happens every day. The stage show in front of the castle, the streetmosphere characters that you see at Disney's Hollywood Studios, Divine uh, at um, at Disney's Animal Kingdom, the the lady who walks on the on the on the stilts, right? Those are all free entertainment. Again, the shows that are put on, whether it's the the Lion King show, you know, Festival of the Lion King, or the Beauty and the Beast show, or the Nighttime Spectacular. Every park has at least one Nighttime Spectacular, and some have more. When I was at Disneyland, there were three Nighttime Spectaculars at Disneyland. You had the Disneyland Forever Fireworks, you had Fantasmic, and of course the Main Street Electrical Parade were all going on. Those are all part of the cost of admission. You don't have to pay anything extra. When I was at Six Flags, um, they had go-kart racing right in the middle of the park, which was kind of cool, but you had to pay for it. It was $15 to ride a go-kart. Now, granted, it was like 15, 20 laps, which I thought was pretty cool, and I got to ride it with my nephew, but you won't see that at Disney World. Yes, are there paid experiences? Absolutely. Are they sometimes crazy paid experiences? Absolutely. But for the by and by most of the experiences that you're going to have at Walt Disney World are going to be included with the cost of admission. I also want to add here um, I had mentioned um Lightning Lane earlier, right? So Lightning Lane $15 a person per day um to be able to skip the line. I know there's been a lot of consternation about it. I know there's been a lot of frustration about Lightning Lane. I get all that. But these regional parks, they all have a similar version called Flash Pass. Uh, Six Flags has Flash Pass, which, you know, is based after the, the character Flash. Um, it's like 100 bucks. Well, maybe not quite 100 I think it may be 80 at, at for Six Flags to get Flash Pass. Now, granted, you can literally skip every line if you want once, which is awesome. But it's 80 bucks per person. So if you got a family of four, that's $320 extra that you're spending on top of your admission, right? We're at Disney World. Well, Disney World, it's $60 per person on top of your admission. Now, again, the argument is, and this is actually going to be one of my, my next thing here. I might as well just bring it up, uh, point number nine, which is at 
one of these regional parks, a lot of times it's a day trip, maybe two, right? You go, you spend the night in a hotel, or you just go for the day, right? You know, Six Flags for me is 45 minutes from my house, right? When I lived in Michigan, Cedar Point was two hours. So you could go down there, you'd have the day, and you'd drive back two hours, right? For Disney trips, it's a vacation. You're there much, much longer. You're there for, you know, uh, four, five, seven days in some cases. So yeah, I guess you could argue $60 a day can add up pretty quickly. That's if you want to do fast pass for uh, $60 a day. That's where planning comes in. Um, I don't even have this on here, but I really should put it, which is, you know, the app, My Disney Experience, I know everyone complains about having to be on their phones, but the app on My Disney Experience versus the app Six Flags had, um, night and day difference, uh, you know, real time. They both have real time wait times, but you can do so much more on the um, Walt Disney World My Disney Experience app than you could on the um, on the uh, Six Flags app. You could tell that they were kind of coming after the fact. Okay, so my number nine here um, is something that's very personal to me. I'm a bigger guy. For those of you who know me, I, I weigh um, a lot. I weigh over 300 pounds. I'm six foot three. Um, you know, do I want to fix my weight? Yes, I do. Do I also sometimes go through those moments of this is who I am? Absolutely. You have to, you know, I am where I'm at. Um, one of the things I will say that Walt Disney World does really well comparatively to any competition, including Universal Studios, is that they accommodate people of larger frames. Unfortunately, at Six Flags, I was unable to ride some of the top attractions because I can't get the restraints over me. Uh, they have a weight limit, right? Or they have a height limit even. Sometimes people over 6'4 can't ride or people with bigger calves. Walt Disney World is really good about this. They, I can get literally on any of their rides, the one exception being uh, Flight of Passage. Depends on who's manning it at the time. And that has less to do with my stomach and more to do with my very thick legs uh, in terms of being able to get on those rides. But Walt Disney World has figured out a way to create a theme park that... Uh, is accommodating to people of all sizes and make it safe and make it enjoyable and not make you take that walk of shame. If anybody out there is a bigger plus size person, you know what I'm talking about. That walk of shame is scary. I mean, I was walking around Gurney. I was walking around uh, the Six Flags with my family and there were a couple of rides that I really wanted to ride. But you know what? I, I didn't even try because I was afraid I'd get up there, not be able to get in. And then, you know, the ride would have to release the restraints so I could get out and and so on and so forth. I don't believe that this has to be a mutually exclusive thing where it's the power of or it's it's the decision of, well, we have to make it safe so we can't make it for everyone or vice versa. I think it's possible to do both. And Walt Disney World is an example of being able to do that. Um, I think at Disneyland, um, they also have the ability to do that. Those rides are a little bit older, so they were a little bit snugger, but I still was able to do it. I think the only ride that I chickened out on was the Incredicoaster. Uh, I said it was because, um, you know, I was afraid to go upside down, and that was part of it. But I was also afraid to get up in line and, you know, be told that I couldn't ride because the restraint didn't come down on me. Um, you know, again, that walk of shame is, is not fun. Uh, you know, I know it's easy to say, well, just lose weight, you know, fatso. Um, that's hurtful, by the way. Don't don't say that to people. Um, it's not as easy as just lose weight. You know, those, there's a lot of decision and psychological stuff that goes into that. And some people are perfectly fine with their size. And, and that's okay. You have to meet them where they're at. So bravo to Disney for figuring out a way to not make people feel shamed, uh, regardless of their size. So thank you, Disney. 
So the final one on here, and I think this is going to be, everyone's going to totally agree with this, is better trained staff. The cast members who work at Disney are absolutely amazing. And I can say that for Walt Disney World and Disneyland, although I will say the Walt Disney World staff, they are even better than uh, the, the cast at Disneyland. I think the cast at Disneyland is a lot of locals. Um, you know, they were a little bit more 2D, I'd say. But even the cast at Disneyland, like leaps and bounds over the staff and the employees of a regional theme park. I'm sorry to say at Six Flags, I didn't see anyone smile. None of the none of the employees were smiling. Um, I the guy at the go kart place when I when I bought my ticket for the go kart, um, you could tell he was just literally buried in his phone, and that I was bothering him to get my ticket for the go kart. Um, when I went to go check something in the in a shop to buy for Nate, unfortunately the one I picked out was a little damaged, and I asked the, the person, "Hey, are there any more of these in back?" Uh, I, I don't know, like completely like oblivious to how customer service is supposed to work. You know, I've noticed that since COVID, this seems to be more of an issue. And no matter where you go, you seem to find people who just, they don't want to do the job. Yet here at Walt Disney World, it's not like that. I, I feel that that standard of magic, that, that standard of wanting to create the magic for the guest is still there. And so for that reason, Again, I talked about cost earlier, right? Um, the value of all nine things that I've said goes to show you why you're paying more for the experience. You're going to get, you're, are you going to have fun at Six Flags? You're going to have fun at Cedar Point, Dollywood, all those things? Yeah, you are. You're going to have a lot of fun at those, but you're also going to miss value. You're going to, you're going to, um, you're not going to have the same level of standards, whether it's cleanliness, staff, rides, theming, any of the stuff that I talked about. And the fact that you're paying less is one of those reasons. And so for those reasons, I think everyone listening to this podcast today can agree that this is why we go back to Disney. This is what gives us that Disney bug, that Disney itch to want to be in the parks, right? So thank you for listening to my my rant or my top 10 however you want to call it today I, I think this was a lot of fun and you know did i miss any you know it's a top 10 so i only have so many but is there something is there a reason why you prefer disney over a different theme park that you might go to we'd love to hear it on our socials um before we go i made this announcement a couple of weeks ago i am excited to announce that i am going to be officially a certified a travel agent that can help book uh, a trip for you to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Universal Studios, Florida, or or Hollywood, um, other places as well. I'm starting to get my certification. Um, I figured I'd do this anyway for fun. And so now is an opportunity to be able to do this for not only my friends and family, but for my listeners, for you. So real quick, there's a lot of misperceptions. We had Chris Wood on, uh, a friend of mine, fellow podcaster of the Mouse and More podcast, uh, about two years ago to talk about why you might want to go through a Disney travel planner. Well, Chris is actually who I'm going to go join. I am joining her company, Main Street and More Travel. Um, by the time this airs, um, I may not be fully certified yet. I'm still working through some of those courses. But if you are planning a trip, I would love to help you. You can email me at caseywoolley 
at MainStreetAndMoreTravel.com. Again, that's Casey Woolley at MainStreetAndMoreTravel.com. Let me know. Um, here's the thing about travel uh, uh, travel planners. They don't cost you anything extra. So you're going to book it through me. I'm going to give you my advice and expertise and all that stuff that I can help you with from doing this as long as I have. And you book it through me. I can book it. I can give you as much control or as little control as you want. That's completely up to you. But you pay nothing extra. You pay the same amount as if you were to book it through any uh, through the through Disney or Universal by yourself, right? So let me help you. Let me assist you and give you a hand. My all my profile and stuff information is going to be up at MainStreetAndMoreTravel.com here soon. Um, I, I within the next couple of weeks. Today's the 29th of July. I would imagine that probably within the next couple of weeks I will be good to go. So if you're planning a trip, let me help you. Um, I would love to be able to help you and your family create those memories um, for years to come. And so this is a new adventure for me, and I really hope that you um, um, trust me with with your your vacation planning. So again, Casey Woolley, that's C-A-S-E-Y-W-O-O-L-E-Y at MainStreetAndMoreTravel.com, MainStreetAndMoreTravel.com. If you want to get a hold of us, find us on sorcererandnetwork.com. You can email the show at uh, beersandears1928 at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at beersears1928. Um, don't forget to listen to Matt's other podcast, Discontinued on Display. They are going through discontinued themed experiences. Uh, they just got done doing, um, I think Ozland is the one that came out. I saw a couple more that are popping up in there. Um, Showbiz Pizza was in there, which is really exciting. So definitely check them out. They're they're, they're in their third third season, third season at this point, or maybe fourth season. I think it's their fourth season at this point. So um, anyway, uh, thank you for listening. And Matt and I will both be back next week. We will be covering Thor Love and Thunder, I promise. Um, in the meantime, have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you again real soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to a Sorcerer Network podcast. 